0: Welcome to the One Degree Podcast, where we talk about how small choices over time make a big impact. I'm Nick, a husband, father, and financial planner committed to being the best steward I can be with all that's been given to me, one small choice at a time. If you're familiar at all with the financial industry, you've likely noticed that most folks around here have letters after their names. These usually represent either licenses or industry credentials oftentimes demonstrating a high commitment to education and professional standards. Probably the most common and widely known is CPA, but there's a lot of them out there. And another one that's very common is a set of letters CFP. Now, this one stands for Certified Financial Planner, and it's granted to individuals who have passed a rigorous 12-24 to month education program as well as a six-hour national exam. And then those individuals went on to acquire two to three years of industry experience and were then finally awarded the privilege of using those three little letters after their name. And that's the case for most of those letters. So just know there's usually a good bit of sweat equity that's required to get them. That being said, the organization that owns and regulates the CFP designation and trademark was kind of trying to create a new industry category back in the 70s and 80s when they first started out. See, they knew that the financial services landscape was full of disconnects. And so they, so they kind of tried to create an all-in-one program that gave participants a sort of like PCP level status, you know, like a, your a general practitioner, right? It's a true jack-of-all-trades approach where you go really wide on a whole host of topics, but you don't necessarily specialize in any of them. Hence, the CFP designation was born and a lot of people have given a lot of time to earning the right to use the marks. Some of us are still working on it. But one big question I keep running into as I meet new folks and and get to know them is simply, Nick, I know what a quarterback does on a football team, and I'm familiar with what my general practitioner does for me at my annual physical, but what the heck is a financial plan and what does a financial planner do anyway? It's a great question. It's one that I honestly had to work my way through as I was going through the program. So don't feel bad for asking if you've ever wondered. I I think it's a great place to start. And since the CFP board kind of created this industry category, let's go to them first to see how they define it. So financial planning is a collaborative process that helps maximize a client's potential for meeting life goals through financial advice that integrates the relevant elements of the client's personal and financial circumstances. Ha! That was easy, wasn't it? Just rolls right off the tongue. Uh, There we go. You're all now experts on it, so you can... uh, End this episode. No, I'm just kidding. So let's break it down into the three key parts. Uh, Financial planning is a process of collaborating, okay? So if you've never worked with an advisor, imagine if your doctor was also a really good friend, someone that you knew you could just call any time for medical advice or questions, and they were always glad to hear from you. They never forced solutions on you, and instead they took the time to listen to your concerns, present you with a couple options, and then help you decide which one fit your needs the best. If you have an advisor already, that person should be like your friend, someone that you feel free to call anytime, someone that you know who knows their stuff, but also really cares about you. And lastly, this person clearly loves working with you. It's collaborative. It has to be because if it isn't, it's not financial planning. So the the key isn't that they're smarter than you. By the way, it's just that they're not you. Okay, and we're all we're all subject to this. Okay, we all have a lot of emotions that come up and and live around the whole topic of money for us. So I'll give you a personal example. Listen, I love mountain bikes. Anyone who knows me, you know I love mountain bikes. I have several. My wife is, she's so patient with me, (laughs) my mountain biking addiction. But, uh, you know, I asked my financial advisor back a couple of years ago during the COVID pandemic if it was okay that I was funding this hobby out of savings, and I was absolutely positive that I would make money on these purchases and sales because I had a stellar track record. And I did. But he kindly reminded me that bikes don't usually have great long-term returns, and he would prefer to see hobbies funded out of cash flow, which is great advice, right? And I'm a numbers guy, okay? I am the guy that's supposed to have that kind of advice. And even I'm not immune to emotional financial decision-making. Y'all can pray for my wife, by the way, because it's kind of stuff she has to put up with sometimes. But l- listen, he was right. And had I not taking that advice i would have lost a lot of money in the next year when suddenly the price of bikes just tanked because the market was flooded so none of us are immune to getting stuck inside our own heads and that's why we need the thoughtful input of someone who's non-emotionally attached to our decisions like we are okay so that's the first part it's a collaborative process the second is it maximizes your potential for meeting life goals this is really key because a financial advisor is not some magical wizard that can wave a wand to make your money just grow so yes, compound interest is a real thing and yes, disciplined investment over time has phenomenal yields. But if you think that somehow just having an advisor is gonna give you an edge on the rest of the investing world because he recommends some particular investment or product to you, hate to break it to you, but there's a good chance your financial advisor is probably being compensated by someone other than you for that advice, okay? Uh, so we're maximizing potential, we're not guaranteeing anything. Uh, And then the last part is it's through financial advice that integrates elements of your life, your personal, your financial life. This is really important because true financial planning has to integrate the details of your life into the plan. Otherwise, it's not financial planning. It's just self-help. And there's loads of great self-help books out there. And many of them are written by great people. But the advice in those pages is broad. It's general. It's impersonal. And that's where true financial planning is different, because cheap self-help book advice is usually worth what you pay for it. And trust me, I would know. It may be great advice, but it may not be great advice for you. So that's kind of what financial planning is in a broad stroke. But what does a financial plan cover? I'd say it really falls into four key topic areas with a fit that's kind of a catch-all. So the first is taxes and tax planning. The second is your insurance and your, your risk management. The third is investments. The fourth is estate planning. And then the fifth is, is may, really any major life event that has a financial impact on you. So kids going to college, buying or selling a house, starting a business, retirement planning, inheriting or transferring wealth, all those things. So I'm going to dive into those topics in future episodes. But suffice it to say, the true financial planning with a real financial advisor involves unique and custom crafted advice that can only be provided after taking the necessary time to learn an awful lot about you. Your life, your hopes, dreams, future, your current financial picture, anything less than that isn't true financial planning and may not be providing you the whole spectrum of services you need. All right, listen, if any of this has resonated with you, or if you have a personal story that you'd like to share, I would love to hear it. My contact information is in the show notes, so please feel free to reach out. Until next time, I'm Nick. Have a great day.